Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5. And my endeavor today is to be short. Now, it's also my endeavor not to lie in church. Thank you, sister. The, the, one, the one laughter is my joke. Um, we're, we'll get there. We're, we've been studying through the book of John, and I will echo uh, what Eddie had just said. If, if you would like to go and reach back and see some of these different sermons we've been doing, we've been slowly crawling through the book of John, and if you look on those YouTube pages, you can actually see all the different sermons we've done, and, and I'd encourage you to go back and, and study some of these. And not just the stuff we've been preaching here, but I would encourage you to dive into other materials to study this. Um, is it possible that we're wrong about something? We don't think so. But no one ever woke up any morning and said, you know what, I'm going to be wrong about something today. Right? The, the thing about all of us is we all think we're right. Right? And so uh, I'd encourage you to study it and, and dive into it. And if you say, wait a minute, Pastor Drew, I don't know if that's what that means. I would love to sit down and, and talk with you about it. I love talking about the Word of God, and um, I don't love being wrong, but when the Word of God challenges me, what do we do? When we see the Word of God conflicts with our worldview or the way we're living, we bend beneath the weight of the Word. We change. We don't try to change the Word and massage it to believe, to make it say what we think it should say, right? And uh, that can be tough sometimes, and that's one of the reasons we're slowly crawling through the book of John. When you preach topically, you can kind of cherry pick which verses to use. But when you're preaching verse by verse through the book of the Bible, you've got to go through everything, even if it's uncomfortable. We, we tried this back before COVID with Ephesians, and COVID hit right as we were getting to the part about husbands and wives, and we just didn't pick it back up. Maybe we should someday. Um, Oh, save, save by the pandemic. No, not, not appropriate. Um, so we are crawling through uh, John today. Um, in the context of where we are here in John chapter 5, and, and we talked about this last week, that Jesus is talking with everybody. He's hitting all these different things. He's, he's at weddings, and he's in the temple. He's He's talking to Samaritan women who he shouldn't even have in conversations with in the middle of the day. And he's talking with religious leaders who are sneaking to him in the, in the secret of night. He's healing Jewish people right outside the temple. And he's healing Roman oppressors outside the city. Like he's doing it all. And John is giving us a wonderful snapshot of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ but also the passion he has for his father, his father's house, and the passion he has for the word of God. So here he is, he's a compassionate man, but he's also a man that's not going to be bullied because he is God in the flesh. And that's what John tells us in, in John chapter 1. He says that the word became flesh. That in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. Now, there are, I, I want to warn you that there are different groups out there who claim to be Christian, and they translate that passage differently. They said the, the word became flesh, and when they're talking about that, they said the word was with God, and the word was a God. Well, that's not there. 
And when you say Jesus is just some God or a God, you're demoting Jesus. And and that's not what we believe at all. To be faithful to the scriptures is to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And as we look here, we see Jesus doing this thing at the beginning of John chapter five. He heals a man on the Sabbath. That's the Jewish holy day. What are you supposed to do on the Sabbath? Nothing. Rest, nothing. And some of you are like, if that's the case, why are we having a work day today? And the answer is, it's because the insurance company gave us 30 days to get some stuff done, and today is the only day we had. So I apologize to our guests. We're quite dressed down today, some of us. So I felt kind of bad while meeting some of you. I'm like, yeah, I'm in jeans and a T-shirt. and Oh, well, um, the Lord is still glorified among us. Um, he, does, he, looks, he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Um, I'm all for dressing up for church, though. I think it's a good thing. Um, but it, as we're, we're looking at this, so Jesus, he, he's healing a man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are upset about this. They're upset that Jesus has done work on the Sabbath. And he told the man to pick up his mat and walk. And so he's carrying around his mat on the Sabbath. Like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be picking up your mat and walking around on the Sabbath. And, G- and this man is like, well, wait a minute, the guy who healed me told me to do that. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. If, if someone heals me, I'll do anything they tell me to do. And so the religious leaders find Jesus and they confront Jesus about this. Who do you think you are? And the statements that Jesus makes in the beginning of chapter 5 lead them to believe what we see here in verse 18. It says, They were seeking more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, his own father, making himself equal to God. And last week we crawled through verses 19 through 29. And we found it in those passages over and over again, Jesus makes himself equal to God. And can I tell you something this morning? The most important thing about you is what you do with Jesus. You might be a great cook, you might be a great teacher, you might be a great parent, you might be a decent kid, those were great other things, but decent kids. You might be a lot of things to a lot of people, but the most important thing about you is what you've done with Jesus Christ. And that's the whole purpose of John's writing, is to reveal Jesus Christ, as we see in John chapter 20, is what he says, so that you can know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Christ, and by believing in His name, you will have life. And so G- John is trying to reveal Jesus. In verses 19 through 29, he reveals how, who Jesus is and how He is equal with God. He is equal with God in nature. He is equal with God in works. He is equal with God in power. He's equal with God in authority. He's equal with with God in honor and he's equal with God in truth that's all the things we looked at last week over and over again Jesus is equal with God so make no bones about it some people say one Bible never says Jesus is God and I'm going to tell you it very much declares that Jesus is equal with God so as we talked about last week what do you do with Jesus you can't just say he's a good teacher Jesus can't just be a good guy that existed 2,000 years ago. 
It's not possible to believe that. Jesus doesn't leave that in the discussion. Because if you claim to be equal with God, you're either a liar, a lunatic, or you are who you say you are, which is Lord. You're either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, but you're not just a good guy. A guy who goes around claiming to be equal with God is not a good guy. And so that's the kind of things we looked at over the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to pick up in verse 30, now that we see this. And Jesus is still on this rant, and he's talking to these Jewish leaders who have a desire to kill him because he's claiming to be equal with God. That's the context of the conversation. So it's probably a real calm conversation, right? Sometimes when we read the Bible, or if you've ever listened to the Bible, anybody ever have the Bible on cassette a long time ago? And it was just read it in this nice, monotonous, soothing voice. Uh, that's not this conversation right here that's going on. Also, some of you dated yourself by saying you used to have a cassette. How many of in the room have never touched a cassette? Yeah, the kids in the back. Okay. Here we go. Moving on. You don't know the struggle, the pencil that you had to, anyway. Stick it in there and twist it. I know how to rewind this thing. Anyway, you don't even know. You don't, the tape would all come out. All you do is say, hey, Siri, play lion. Anyway, verse 30 of John chapter 6. <laughs> hell, hell, land of Judah. <laughs> Yes, it's that easy. It's that easy. We listen to Lion a lot in my house. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. John chapter 6, verse 30. We're going to have to mute that feature. Uh, here's Jesus. He's talking to these Jewish leaders. They don't like him. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he born, excuse me, you sent to John, and he borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I, that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know 
that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe my words. Now, there's a there's a lot here to unpack. As we look back through this this passage. Jesus uses the word witness a lot of times. I believe it's something like eight times in this passage. And he uses the word testimony as well, which is a similar word in the original language. So over and over again, he's talking about bearing witness and having a testimony again and again. And there's a reason for that. See, the people he's talking to, these are Jewish leaders. And, and if I can bring some Jewish historical context to you, because we're not, we didn't grow up in Judaism, any of us, I don't believe. Um, but in the Jewish culture, if you look back at Deuteronomy, you don't turn there. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it says that you can't establish anything with one witness. But it says, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let something be established. Well, that's pretty good practice, right? Like, anybody can say anything, but if I get two or three people saying it, then that's verifiable, right? Then that actually might be true. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he is going through this passage here. He's saying that it's not just him alone. Look at verse 41. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. He knows he's talking to these Jewish leaders that think you need, what, two or three witnesses. And so what has he endeavored to do? He endeavors to give them additional witnesses that verify Jesus is who he says he is. He says, there's another who bears witness about me. And he talks about John. Now, we talked about John the Baptist earlier on. We talked about how John came. And when John came, he began to declare he saw Jesus and he said what? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And this was a special title that he was giving Jesus. In fact, this is a, a title that would say, if Jesus is the Lamb of God, what did they do with lambs in that culture at that time? They would sacrifice them to pay for their sins. So John is declaring, here is Jesus who will die for our sins. For all the things we've done wrong, the way we've fallen short of God's perfect standard, John is declaring Jesus is the perfect lamb that will die for our sins. And this is John's testimony. And John continued to proclaim it until Jesus' ministry starts to grow and John's ministry starts to fall, diminish. And they asked John about it. Like, aren't you jealous of this Jesus guy? He's taking away all your disciples. And what's John's response? says he must increase i must decrease and we were talking about in staff meeting this morning like all the things we do around here they should point to jesus not to f up right we're having a work day today and the 
our heart isn't just to make FHOP a better place or make our insurance company happy, although that is kind of the point. But in the middle of it all, Jesus to be glorified. In our conversations, in our work, in our frustrations, when we get upset with one another, wait, Christians get upset with one another? One another? Absolutely. Just the way all relationships sometimes do. But in the middle of that turmoil, can Jesus be glorified? Or when something great happens, in the middle of that rejoicing and joy, can Jesus be glorified? So John is bearing witness of Jesus. But notice this. Verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. He's saying John didn't get his information from John. Where did John the Baptist get his information from? From God. In fact, we know that when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, there a voice came from heaven and said, what? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That even John's words didn't come from John. They came from God himself. Bear witnessing, bearing witness about this right here. And this is what it's saying in this passage. And it even says that John was a burning and shining lamp and you rejoiced in his light for for a while. And there's a couple of things here. One, for a while that his lamp has faded, maybe. We know from other gospels that John is arrested and, and thrown in prison and killed. Why? Because he believes in the truth. And that upset the political leaders of his day. Verse 36 says there's a testimony that's greater than John. And what is this greater testimony? He says it's the works the fathers get. So the first witness is John. The second witness is the works. The works that he's doing. What works? The ones that he's seen the father do. The scripture is very clear. Jesus can do nothing Unless he sees the father doing it. What does he see the father doing? Well, we learned last week it was all things. Jesus sees all things the father's doing. So Jesus can only do what he sees the father's doing. And his own works bear witness to him. What are his works? Well, he just healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. His works bear witness. He turned the water into wine. These are his works and as we've looked in john we we don't have very many works of jesus not very many miracles of jesus the other gospels conclude include many more but john is very selective about which ones he includes but it's the works of jesus that that testify him can i can i tell you though works just will never be enough for some people Miracles will never be enough for some people. And that's that's what's crazy. It's just like there's a while I wrestled, especially when I was a teenager, and I I really came to know the Lord when I was at about junior high. That's when my faith just came alive. And I started pursuing Jesus with everything inside of me. Before I was just a kid who went to church. Anybody ever been there? Just a person who just goes to church. Which is good. But I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know him. I wasn't a follower of Christ. I knew a lot about him, but I didn't know him. And when I 
got in junior high, I began to pursue Jesus with, with all of my heart, and I began to have questions. I'd be like, you know, Jesus, if you would just heal everybody, they would believe in you. But you look in Scripture, and even in Scripture, people who were healed were not necessarily converted. People who experienced life-changing miracles weren't necessarily converted. Uh, and I remember, and, and, and some of you know this story of a woman who in this very church experienced a miraculous healing. Like, flesh grew into her back and, and hearing was restored and, and a bolt that had been in her ankle disappeared, like x-rays and, and miraculous healing. And you think, man, if I experienced that kind of healing, then I would pursue Jesus with everything I have. But it's no guarantee, and, and she slipped away from the faith. I, miracles by themselves, works by themselves, will not save you. Here's Jesus. They see the works he's doing, and it's not enough for them. They heard John's testimony. They see the works. And it's not enough for them. He says that the Father himself bears witness about him in verse 37. But then he says this, his voice you have never heard. I'm sure this upset them greatly. We're, we're the religious leaders of the day. You telling us we can't hear God's voice? Yup. which is astounding to me. It means that it's possible, and these guys were guys who studied the Scripture all the time. What was their Scripture? The entire New Testament was their, or Old Testament, excuse me, was their Scripture. They studied it continually and yet couldn't hear His voice. It's possible, saints, for us to study Scripture and completely miss Jesus if we're not careful. Now, if you submitted yourself to Jesus, if you've trusted him as Savior, Lord, you have his Holy Spirit. And then when you read the word of God, it's alive and active inside of you. Well, it's always alive and active. But if you have his Holy Spirit, you see Jesus. But it says this, you do not look at verse 38. You do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. I think it's very important. We, we say it often in this church that it's you should have an abide time. You should have a time set aside every day where you spend time with the Lord. In fact, your abide time is, is one of the most important things you will do. But what Jesus is saying here is you can be religious. You can wear the religious label. You can search the scriptures. But unless you're looking for Jesus... His word doesn't abide in you. All you're doing, you might as well be studying trigonometry. Because there's about as much religious significance in that as reading the word of God devoid of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I apologize to any math teachers in here. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they bear witness about me. And this is the next witness that Jesus is calling. He's called John. 
He's he's called his own works. He's called upon the Father. And now he's actually pointing to the Scriptures themselves and saying, they bear witness about me. He points to Moses. And for the sake of, well, I'm thinking, do I have lots of time or a little bit of time? I'm trying to decide what I have. Some of you are like, some of you are like, go, Pastor Drew. You just go. You just preach. And some of you are like, no, we'd kind of like you to wrap it up sooner than later. I'll hit the middle. How about that? Oh. Then let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke. The very end of Luke, chapter 24. It's not that far. Just back up a few pages and you'll be there. Can I, can I set up the scene for you? In Luke, Jesus has died a bloody, dory, a bloody, gory death on the cross. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. His side was pierced. His beard was ripped from his face. A crown of thorns were shoved in his head. He was beaten. He was whipped 39 times. The flesh hanging from his back. This is Jesus. He dies and then he's put in a tomb. And his followers don't know what to do because Jesus told them in three days I'll raise from the dead. But when you see someone go through that much torture, your question has to be, how could that ever happen? So Jesus raises from the dead. Some women see him, but the claim seems outrageous. Like, people are hearing about it now. Like, some women say they saw him alive, but how could that be? As brutally as he was murdered, how could it be? So here's these gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13, it says, That very day two of them, two of Jesus' disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near And went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Like they couldn't recognize him. I don't know like if it was their own disbelief that he could be alive that kept them from recognizing him. Or some sort of supernatural thing that was going on. But can I tell you, it was hard for them to believe that he was alive. After what they had just witnessed. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? The heaviest of hearts. And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, 
mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. They don't believe it. Talks about going to the tomb and other people trying to verify this thing. And Jesus says to them in verse 25, oh, foolish ones. <laughs> Imagine being called, oh, foolish ones by someone you think is a stranger. Oh, foolish ones. Some of you not, would not react well. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And it says this in verse 27. And beginning with Moses, say Moses. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What is Moses? Well, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. That's Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's Moses. So he started from the beginning, and he went all the way through the prophets, and he told them all the things in the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. And that's what we just read that Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. He's standing there looking them in the eye and saying, listen, you search the scriptures because you think in them as life, but the scriptures are all about me. They're all about Jesus, do you realize every time you pick up the word of God, it's all about Jesus. And so you could pick up the word of God and say, well, I, I really need some peace right now. I need to study on peace. And that's fine. Study on peace. But if it doesn't lead you to Jesus, you're not studying peace. Or you might be depressed. You're like, Lord, I, what are some verses about depression? And, and you look it up. But I can tell you right now, if you do not find Jesus in your search to get rid of the heaviness you're feeling, you're wasting your time. Because all the scriptures, they testify of Jesus. So here's Jesus. He's, he's revealing to them who he is, starting with Genesis and going all the way through. And as he's revealing it, they're like, hey, won't you stay with us for a little bit longer? Jesus, he's like, well, I've got to go. And they're like, no, 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 stay with us. And so they convince him to stay, and right when they begin to recognize them, in verse 32, they says they recognized him, and the, he vanishes from their sight, and they make this statement, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? Like Jesus was talking about himself, beginning with Moses through the prophets, and as he talked, their hearts burned within them. 
Like they got excited. They got excited as he was revealing himself to the scriptures. They got so excited about it that they ran the seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they had just seen Jesus. That's, that's faith moving your heart to run seven miles. So here we are in John chapter 6, or John chapter 5, excuse me. And this is the way Jesus ends this discourse. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote of me. Moses was talking about me. Jesus is all through the Bible. Jesus is everywhere. And I'll reiterate what I open with today is the most important thing about you is what you've done with Jesus. Of what you believe about Jesus because Jesus is in every book of the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the fire by night that leads his people. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet that's like unto Moses. And Joshua, he's the commander of the armies of the Lord. He's the captain of our salvation. And in Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman and he's the redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, Jesus is the seed of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the reigning king. In Ezra, Jesus is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of things that are broken. And Esther, he's our advocate. He's our Mordecai. And Job, he is everlasting life. And Psalms, he's our shepherd. And Proverbs, he is wisdom. And Ecclesiastes, he is the meaning of life through whom we find satisfaction. And Song of Solomon, he is the bridegroom. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. And Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. And Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. We are never left alone. This is who Jesus is. And Hosea, he's the faithful husband. And Joel, he's the outpour of the Holy Spirit. And Amos, he bears our burdens. And Obadiah, he's our judge and savior. And Jonah, he is the risen prophet. And Micah, he's the ruler of the world who came from a little place called Bethlehem. And Nahum, he's our stronghold. And Habakkuk, he's our watchman. And Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. And Haggai, he's our restorer. And Zechariah, he's the branch of David. The one who was pierced for us. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. He's all through the Old Testament. He is there in every book of the Bible. He's there to reveal himself to us. So the question for us this morning is, have you found him? 
And I don't mean have y'all found him. I mean you. Have you found him? When you search the scriptures, do you find him? Do your, do your hearts burn within you as you read his word? Or, or do we read his word just to win theological arguments? Like Jesus, his heart is to reveal himself to us. The God of the universe He sometimes feels so distant and so far away because we can't see him. We can't put our hands on him. And sometimes we're just like, God, where are you? And I have to believe with all my heart that the God of the universe looked down and he saw the cry of, a, of my heart and said, I'm going to prove to you that I know what it's like to be you. To have the struggles you have. And so God became a man. And I know it's not Christmas time. But he became a little baby lying in a manger. In a dirty feeding trough. The king of the universe. The God of all creation. Who breathes out stars. Is a pooping, peeing little baby in a feeding trough. Why? Just so he can show me that he knows what it's like to be me. That he grows up. He knows what it's like to have people betray him, to stab him in the back. Jesus, was he fully God? Absolutely. But he was completely fully man. When he stubbed his toe, it hurt. When his friends died, he cried. He fully sympathizes with us. He knows our weakness. And yet, he never gave in to sin. How amazing is that? He never gave in. When I'm having a good day, I won't give in to sin. But Jesus never gave in to sin. Completely pure. Completely holy. And so what these religious leaders are doing is so futile. So futile. They're trying to argue with a man and tell him he's not God. It'd be like you coming to me and trying to argue with me that I'm not Drew Killingsworth. How strange. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? What have you done with Jesus? Who is he to you? And can I tell you, 
I'm not asking you what is your opinion of Jesus. Respectfully, I, I must say that your opinion of Jesus, quite frankly, doesn't matter. He is who he is. Do you believe in his name? Have you trusted in the one who has died and has raised again? Have you put your faith in the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God? In the servant miracle worker, the baby in the manger who grew to die on the cross. The Son of God, the living word, the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, if you would say, Pastor Drew, my life has been nothing more than religious activity in the past. And I've searched the scripture, but I haven't known him. I have good news for you today. Today you can know him as Savior and Lord. By trusting in his name. could look this way I, I would like to deposit some confidence into the hearts of the believers in this room today sometimes we're so timid to share our faith sometimes we're we're so well, I don't want to offend anybody I don't I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't think we should ever intentionally try to offend anybody I think we should be people who are gracious and gentle and, and kind those are fruits of the spirit right and just a reminder, those are fruits of the Spirit. Those aren't things a Christian has to try to be. It's things that Christians are. Right? It's just what we are. But sometimes we're apprehensive from sharing the gospel of Jesus. Not realizing that the reason the Father filled us with the Holy Spirit is to give us boldness. To declare who Jesus is. And if I could deposit some confidence in you today, Jesus is God. And you don't have to apologize for him. And if that offends somebody, then just let that statement be what offends them. I, I'm not saying go out of your way to offend people, but at some point you're going to rustle some feathers by declaring Jesus is Lord. Some people aren't going to like it and they're not going to want to submit to Jesus' kingship, his rule and reign. And that's fine. Our job isn't to coerce people to serve Jesus. Our job is to show them that there is life, fullness of life, when you turn to Christ. That Jesus is who he says he is. And you don't have to apologize for that. And for me, that reads confidence in me. Jesus is who he says he is. And so I don't have to try to work anything up. You know what's so interesting? You're like, well, I don't know what to say. Or maybe, Pastor Drew, we need to have some better programs here at the church that we can invite people to so they can, we can trick them into come seeing Jesus, you know, and, which is fine. We'll do that sometimes, right? Um, maybe, we need, maybe we need more lights, or maybe we need to 
have a better presentation of the gospel or, or, or a nicer building. A nicer building would bring more people to Jesus or a better sound system. Like there's a hundred things we think we need to be better at whatever. But I searched the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and not once did I see Jesus giving tips to Peter about public speaking. Not once that I see him telling Matthew about, well, you need this kind of delivery and make sure you insert a joke right here and, and make sure that when you build your church that it has a really nice you know, curbside appeal. That's what we need. We need good curbside appeal. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. We can use anything to glorify Jesus. But sometimes we get so caught up in the machine of things we think we need, we forget the mission. And Jesus was all about mission. Jesus was all about mission and empowering his, fathers to de- his followers to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ to everyone around them. And you've got that. Get this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so you can declare with boldness, Jesus is Lord. And some people aren't going to like that. They're not going to like it. Continue to be kind to them. Continue to love them. It's okay if they don't like that. Because it's true. Will you stand with me? Let's pray.